BMG Partners and 1494 2AY presents The Journey Podcast. The stories you're about to hear are true. They shine a light on the events and incidents, known and unknown, that have shaped the lives of the Albury-Wodonga region's most intriguing personalities, local legends and unsung heroes. So sit back and enjoy. Hello, there you are with Kev Polt, and this time around we are going on the journey of Josh Baker. He is the second generation of ownership of B&H Homes, and we start with the ties to the local region. Yep, born and bred, uh, grew up around Bellbridge, Bethanga, Telgano area, and um, yeah, schooled in Wodonga, went to St Augustine's and Catholic College. Yeah, I've um, yeah studied, did uni here, uh, certainly grounded with footy, I love passionate about it. I, I love my footy in the days. Played juniors with the Raiders, then um, crossed over to the arch rival in Wodonga and played my senior career. Um, and I just love the area. Once I retired from playing footy, I probably grew in love with the region even more so because of its beauty. I got to actually really, you know, spend the weekends enjoying what we have. It's, yeah, I, I'm really attached to it. It's a common theme that we've found on the journey talking to different people in Albury-Wodonga. You know, they, they just love the region. They're proud of it. And it's good to hear the same from you. Uh, now, you are currently the owner of B&H Homes, but uh, tell us a bit more about the story behind the business uh, because your father and others involved in obviously getting it started before you were technically full-time involved. Yeah. It began way back. It's a 42-year-old business wow. um, back in 78. So um, it was my dad, my uncle, and Max Hinges. So they formed what became Baker and Hinges Homes. It started off uh, as it, they were all working independently, separately. Max and Julian, my dad, were subbing, actually working at Murray High School. And... Um, Back in those days, it was you know work was pretty tough to come by. They were they were going pretty hard. They worked out that they complemented each other really well. In that, Dad was good on the roofs. Max not so much. He was scared of heights. So <laughs> Dad's name was Sparrow, for good reason. Max probably could have been named Emu, but um, yeah, he was more of the ground sort of bird. <laughs> but they yeah they quickly built up a rapport. They um, yeah and and started to go into partnership. As subbies, John at that same time was subbying. Uh, sorry, was supervising um, for Vinden Soir, and um, and so they found their path. They realised that, as I said, you know, that they wanted to control their own destiny. To do that was to build in their own right, as opposed to fight for work, which was you know difficult to come by. Um, and so they approached Worsley Black and Partners back in the day. So they were assigned a young cadet in Steve Mamuni. May even have had hair that I'm not certain, but it would have been a long time ago. <laughs> Steve actually set Max and Julian on the path to get their Victorian license. So he sent them down to Melbourne and, and got them started. Um, so once they achieved that with John and his New South Wales license, which he had already held, they were able to join forces and, and start building in their own right. And so they did that. As any infancy, any business in its infancy does, had to crawl before they walk. So they, they started doing private builds whilst they were subbing and gradually grew it to become a, a yeah, very successful business. Yeah. Let's talk about your involvement. Um, before we got started today, you mentioned you grew up on building sites. Um, so what's your qualification now and, and leading into, I guess, that building industry? How did you get involved? Yeah, it wasn't, although I grew up, 
in the game, like quite literally, I, I mean, it wouldn't be done today, but, you know, in times when I needed to be minded, mum had to do something, I was on site with dad. So can fondly remember those times, but it was something as I went through school, I, I probably didn't realise at the time that this would be my vocation and it certainly seems funny now, but I think other people knew before I did. I mean, as a kid, I used to love drawing houses other than footy players as well. You know, the caricatures, <laughs> I used to love it. But back then I didn't realize I resisted it. I went to uni. I had this core um, desire. I just wanted to help people. I thought that conduit was going to be as a physio or psychologist or something. So I went and studied psychology, uh, got to about the last semester of that and I wasn't 100% on it and dad said to me you know he's pretty um, blunt as you know and fair and, and he said look you got three months we need to employ someone do you want to be a part of it and I hadn't really thought too much about it but it certainly made me really delve into what did I really want to do and so I had a bit of a change in shift and I really worked it was funny I didn't know why I had to work hard on myself to work it out but I did and I had a shift in mindset in that absolutely at its fundamental reason it's putting roof overhead it's a real fundamental need for any human so i thought yeah why not there's a pretty good potential here to help out did you Maybe finish the psychology some... degree first like yeah you... i did yeah okay. <laughs> I, did. I did the last couple of months <laughs> but i didn't know until the very you know towards that end part and it became really obvious to me that yeah no i want to i want to give this a crack i you know i absolutely love everything that bnh stood for i mean so in my holidays i would be laboring as a chippy anyway um throughout uni uh i would work as the display home cleaner for being home anyway so at the end it was probably a really natural progression but i didn't see it that way i had to finish my studies off i did that and deeply yeah have fallen in love with the game yeah the industry is a really interesting one i mean it's tough and uh, like any is anything that's worth it is you've got to work for it but yeah, architecture, construction, um, the impact that it can have, and, and also, yeah, the, the absolute, yeah, that, that fundamental need that, you know, we can probably have an impact on, um, which, you know, there's a few of that at the moment, isn't there, you know, yeah. with housing, uh, population growth, all of that, like it's needed. So, yeah, there's some bigger dreams there at the end of the day, but at the same time, at this moment in time, yeah, I, I absolutely, um, yeah, I'm so proud to head up being H Homes. It's something that, yeah, it's just feels right and what was the turning point for them like when they went from just sort of coming together um and, and sort of being able to trade in both states i guess what when did it really start taking off for them are you familiar with that sort of background yeah the rubber hit the road i suppose there's moments isn't there in time where, where it happens and and they so they chipped away like i said for quite a while so max john julian through the 80s would have done about five display homes before the one i suppose that really made an impact. That was the Bell Rose. It's the B&H look that you're probably uh, are familiar with. If you drive past one, you know it. Um, that was probably where it all happened. So much time was invested into that design. I remember as a kid, the lounge room table was just scattered with clippings, sketches, plans. They used to frequently commute to Melbourne. Mm -hmm. Melbourne was probably in those days, it was a couple of years ahead of where we are in the regional town. So they really invested heavily into a look that they wanted to be really unique. Something that was a cross between Federation, Victorian, and then regional. So they wanted to be able to get that blend. It was that 
quintessential Bean H look, which became the Belrose. Yeah, I remember speaking to Dad about it. It was quite a risk to do it. They obviously invested everything that they had worked for to that point to actually do it because it became, you know, um, quite a, a stunning display home. But a risk at the same time because they invested so much. But because he, look, he put it down to youthful exuberance and everything else. But, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, when you, you yeah, he, they were so well researched in it. I think they were so comfortable too. And they were really happy with how unique it was that they were just, they thought it was going to work and it did. And it took off in our market. Yeah, it did. You know, they were driven to be the Mercedes Benz, I suppose, of, you know, the, the housing. They really wanted to, to offer that in the marketplace. And yeah, and that they did. Yeah. So you're three years into ownership now, is that right, of the business? Yes. How are you finding that? Yeah, it's, look, it was a gradual progression and it was a succession that was always coming. So when I came into the business, it wasn't necessarily that I was going to take it over. Uh, I, I So like I said, I, my progression was from cleaner. Uh, I was a, yeah, Chibi's labourer. I became an estimator when I actually made that decision that I referred to after uni. Uh, worked in every role in the business thereafter. Uh, so in terms of a yeah, little bit of design, supervision, construction management, estimating administration, contracts, all that stuff. So got a really good grounding for it. I knew probably in about, you know, five or so years in, you know, I've nearly been there coming up 20 years. So it was always the game plan pretty much. So the succession was natural. So three years, although... I've been three years solo. I was with dad a couple of years before that, I suppose, in directorship, even though dad was certainly, you know, holding the reins. I was there just uh, sous chef. And <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it's been a really natural progression and something that I've, yeah, I've reveled in. I love the challenge. I love the, the yeah, it's a multifaceted industry. Are you glad you're doing that instead of psychology? <laughs> Some would say I'm still practicing psychology. <laughs> no, no, definitely. Yeah, I, it never really, it never really grabbed me through the study. I mean, that was probably a, a, another reason why the decision when I look back is like, what did I so you know so agonise over it? But it was, yeah, it was just it was meant to be. Yeah, and um, what do you like on the tools? Have you got any of the practical side in you? Or? Scratchy. <laughs> like I said, I was the labourer. <laughs> I only was, uh, yeah, I was throwing things around, that's for sure. It was um, just helping out where I could. I wouldn't say I was the brains of the operation. <laughs> We're on the journey of Josh Baker from B&H Homes, and we've heard uh, there was that one pivotal design that really got the rubber on the road uh, for B&H Homes to, to become the recognisable uh, buildings within Albury Wodonga. Uh, Josh, can you explain further about how that design came to be? It sounds like a lot of passion, a lot of you've mentioned the investment that was put into it. Uh, just how did it happen? Yeah, so to put it into context, they were nail bag builders at the back of their ute. So at that stage in their career, it was on the dining room table at home, you know, like so many do. Um, they really had to invest outside of hours to make it happen. In those days too, so we're talking 80s, 90s, trusses were coming into fashion. So trusses are, uh, it's how construction is really done today. The alternative before that was pitching, hand pitching the roof with really heavy green timbers and greeners, unseasoned, very you know, it's virtually lumber that's been cut out of the forest and you whack it on the roof. Mm. A little bit more in it, but yeah. So in those 
in that period, trusses were coming into vogue and so open plan living was coming into trend and the simple nature of trusses allowed you to have open plan living but trusses had their limitations because they were still in their infancy of engineering you couldn't actually do complex roof design so they saw a real opportunity in this dad being sparrow <laughs> john obviously really skilled max experience so they they had where in those days you had to there was no prefabrication so they were knocking up frames trusses windows they were doing them in probably say you know half the time of what others were doing because they wanted to make a cross but also build up their own business so they saw that as that's their niche they can really expand on that so they went down the path of this complex roof design which trusses cannot do but open plan living so they pitched hand pitched the roofs they used super like in terms of to get the 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 span of roof they had to use very large members of steel so it was quite backbreaking work but what they created was this niche because they were utilizing their talents and and in doing that they were able to provide something that was aesthetically beautiful because they were providing open plan living with this complexity of roof design that was head scratching with and that's the thing that when you drive past the B and H there is gables over gables change in roof directions hips and valleys that are tight it's a bit of a, a complicated roof that in totality looks just aesthetically beautiful and and so became the the bell rose virtually and, and with that they invested you know into a lot of other um yeah i suppose it's technology in a in a different sense you know we look at it differently today but back then you know so using that green wood that i mentioned was yeah. other builders were coming from melbourne and using that in their wall frames but up here, we've got such hot summers that timber was shrinking so much they were finding movement. So, you know, the technology was to use kiln-dried hardwood, so they were using that through their wall frames. Um, then they, you know, invested in unglazed terracotta tiles, which were starting to trend in Melbourne, sandstock bricks. It really became a synonymous look and and defining. And it's just interesting from, you know, like I love, I'm an interested person. I love business as well. And just from that perspective, they probably didn't realise their business sense, I suppose. Yeah, yeah they had it. They were, oh, back, you know, it was they're, Aussie they're, ingenuity that that sort of drove the success by the sounds of things. Like it, it was, where does guys that want to try something have a can-do attitude, and we'll get into it and then invest in it further and believe in what we're doing. Yeah, I think there was a bit of that. There was no doubt there was a bit of design and construct going on at the, um, you know, at the source on the job site, but also a fair bit of research went into it. It was a considered, it wasn't uncon yeah, it was a very considered um decision to create. I mean obviously you don't give everything of what you own to be able to create that for yeah. any you know, you don't risk without knowing, I suppose, to some extent. And and so they did that. Yeah, they they invested in their R and D and um with good construction method, which we really, it's the same values that we practice today to do it as best it can be. And that's ultimately how they approached it. They really wanted to, and you know, it's a, something in the market that wasn't there. They, I mean, like I said, housing was quite simple. So simpler it is, the cheaper it is. Then it was like, they're offering something premium that's quite, you know, at the other end of the um, economy scale. Yeah. And yet they drove... A market that was there that people really did want it so yeah um key decisions forks in the road they would have had a few 
Yeah, 41 years of practice, there's always change, isn't there? And, and I suppose, I think it was doing the simple things really well and, and just trying to keep it simple, but forks in the road, yeah, it's defining roles, I think, was really important. John and Max really drove production, the standards, subcontractor expectations, the relationship. Julian was all about, you know, the administration and the business sense part of it. So, yeah, it, they really had um, great cohesion. I think, you know, so knowing their role, um, you know, over the journey. So we're, we're this year, excitingly, we're starting our 25th display home, which is, yeah, I'm really proud of. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, longevity in business is, yeah, it relies on relationship. It's a community to build a home. So, you know, you're sort of nurturing a community for that many years is, you know, we've got fantastic relationship. I mean, we've got the best subbies. I believe that wholeheartedly. We undoubtedly, we're yeah. Um, they love working for us. We love working for the uh, with them, and um, and so and same with our suppliers. You know, we we had fantastic support. Like I, you, you go back in the day, and people in the industry, you know, will know them how much they invested into it. You know, the Steve Mooney for one. I know he, he's not necessarily related to the industry, but he was for us. Um, from BMG was yeah can't thank him enough for, and, and I know the same for the boys before me you know for what BMG have done for us has been um, yeah nothing short it's friendship to be honest uh, uh, as much as yeah um, business but you know th- then there's the David Christie's who supported us with all the brickwork and the Wayne Ross's of TradeLink and Brendan Brown's and David Saltries and Terry Towers and Cash there's these names that fr- throughout the journey that have been yeah, really good to us. So, but forks in the road. Yeah, it's, it's. I suppose it's knowing what you've got and appreciating it and nurturing it. I think is probably sounds like you've got that. a handle on that at the moment as you sit. Uh, what's it look like in the future? Have you, you has your forward looking? Yeah, well, like I said, the twenty fifth yeah. display home is bloody exciting. To be honest, I've invested the last. I don't know how long it took. Like I said, I was. A, I would have been ten, I think, at the time that the Bell Rose was being designed and evolving into what it was so i kind of remember just the the bits and pieces of going i've got no idea about timelines it's I'm, I'm working yeah at the moment it's been 18 months this one in the can and it's um <laughs> it's finally being realized and i'm really excited i think it is the next phase i suppose look the, the bell Rose series we have really um you know we grew it the family of the consistency so that homes that we build today still are recognizable to that original design threads we're talking they're not identical they're you know they've evolved into a contemporary version but at the same time um this version that i'm talking of the 25th display home is completely distinctly different it is on another wave and um really excited to be able to produce it sure it it's going to um yeah embodies the the regional shed which i absolutely love and i know that sounds a bit funny in the gable of the thread of bnh history but it'll tie them together really nicely into a yeah, really modern um, contemporary floor plan that is just nice and crisp. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's quite exciting to hear the passion behind your industry and, and that because for many people, even though you make a huge investment in a home and you might build a house, you just watch it go up and you go, it's a house. Um, do, you, do you still go through, and you take pride in it, but do you still go through the um, 
you'd see your clients, I'd imagine, go through the whole, oh, is it only that big? Oh, no, it's bigger than we thought. The, anyone who's ever built a house or, or done some substantial building, that weird perception of, of room size, does that happen for you when you're watching a house go up? Like even like a, a yeah, one that you've drawn? Or? Absolutely. It comes down, it's a trust thing, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I mean, you see so many of them, you understand what it will look like at the end. But at the same time, no, it's the, you know, that visual perception of just a slab down and you think, will my house fit on that? <laughs> <laughs> then the roofs go on and it gets a little bigger and then the plaster goes in and it goes, well, this is a bit bigger. How am I going to put on my stuff? You know, I need more furniture. Yeah. So it, it certainly, yeah, it's a natural thing and it's a common question for sure. It's a natural. So you're used to it. We're talking to Josh Baker. Uh, from B&H Homes, who is now the owner of the business, and, and we've heard him really proudly recount the story of those before him that established the business, which, um, Josh, included your father. And I guess, unfortunately, in recent years, um, you've had to deal with uh, quite a bit of grief whilst also sinking your teeth into business at the same time. Um, for anyone not familiar with the story, please share the story with us um, of your father's passing, and I guess he's being unwell for some time there. Yeah, uh, we had a blessed existence, real, and we do have a blessed existence. And um, I didn't really know a lot of hardship until that point. And I mean, and look, it's life at the end of the day, and we've all experienced it. But yeah, Dad passed away in 2017. It was that year he retired. So he retired in the Jan 2017. He was going to dabble, and we we're going to, you know, he was going to work from afar and lead the good life, and I was going to slog it out. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. So still in directorship, but he just would have yeah really eased back into retirement. And unfortunately, he got crook in, uh, you know, started to get some issues with swallowing. He had esophageal cancer. It developed. It became a really aggressive type of tumor, um, to the point that you know, one day he was able to swallow reasonably. It still was had to have a bit of a wash down, but the next. Day it was restricted to um, the day after that he couldn't even swallow his own saliva. So he had all of the treatment that you go through traditional, um, and then turn to alternative in a short eight month period. It was pretty bloody devastating because anyone who knows Dad knows how spirited he was as a human. That's for sure. And to see him fight and his body not respond to the treatment was uh, disbelieving. I suppose. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, we've, as a family, yeah, we're yeah, exceptionally tight nucleus and, um, not to have dad, our rock in it has certainly been a new normal that we've had to learn. Mm. That's a, It's devastating. The, so the, you were, you were getting into the business at that same point in time. How, well, we were already in directorship together yeah. during that. Um, it but was just full reins. Oh, I was taking, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it was, just, I suppose, look, I look back, we've had a, yeah, it's been a bit of an interesting transition, you know, um, like. 41 years, you've got to expect change. So that was the point that came. Just, yeah, when you're trying to deal with a few other things at the same time. But look, that's just the way it rolls. That's life, isn't it? Get used to it. It set you off, and understandably so, I'd imagine, because uh, I've lost my sister um, to cancer myself. And, and it's until you have someone that's personally connected to you, you don't have a face on a disease. You know, we all, as good humans, mm. do fundraising and donate to things where we can. But until until you put a face to it, and I'm sure you'd relate to it, is, is that's when the passion for that um, belief or what can I do really kicks off. You ended up t on the Tour de Cure um, mm. bandwagon. Yeah. It was something only four months before Dad passed, my auntie passed as well, 
with stomach cancer. So my uncle and I, and, and dad was, um, he received treatment not only here, and I cannot thank enough the, um, yeah, the private hospital in Albury of just yeah, phenomenal care that they gave was just outstanding. And then dad went to get, you know, the, the best that we could offer, what um, we could find, I suppose, what they could offer in at Peter Mac Cancer Centre. So Peter Mac Cancer Centre were aligned with the Tour de Cure. My uncle, uh, who also rides bike, my dad rode bikes. We, we rode bikes together. We really enjoyed just as a pastime. One of the many things we did, I mean, geez, we yeah, pretty much did everything together outside of work, inside work. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of a natural and normal thing to do, I suppose. It felt like that because you feel so helpless during the journey of watching someone with cancer go downhill you just are helpless and all that you want to do you can't and so certainly what's driven us is we want to see investment go into digestive cancers certainly the the liver stomach esophageal they're pricks of ones to get it and uh, we'd love to see a little bit more into that so that's why we we hope anyway some of the over the journey now, we've yeah raised collectively 100 cyclists do this ride. We go to Tasmania, we ride three days, um, yeah, beat the drum a little bit. And before that, we, we raise as much money as we can. And over that period, I think we've raised close to $5 million in the last three or so years. It's been, yeah, pretty phenomenal. Um, making a small difference, that's what you can do. And, you know, I'd love to see... And look, they're making some big inroads with immunotherapy at the moment. I'd love to see the alternative therapies be invested in as well to augment that. So the... Yeah, to give the the chance of fighting um, hope, I suppose, because chemotherapy just... Well, didn't work for us. And I know it is working certainly in other, in other cancers, but it near kills somebody before they can survive. So it'd be nice to augment what we've got in our body and that's you know immunity that hopefully can um, yeah fight the cancers and immunotherapy is supporting that so why not try and supplement it and my sister's a naturopath so obviously i've got a bit of a slanted view but <laughs> i reckon i reckon there's uh yeah there's a lot of um green pastures there to be had so you're still fundraising and riding yeah 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 definitely yeah so annually we do that uh it's yeah it's close to my heart uh, it's it's just something, it's a very little something that we can do. Hmm. We're on the journey this time around with Josh Baker from B&H Homes. We've heard a lot about that uh, proud local brand and uh, we're finding out a little bit more about Josh now. And, and, uh, one question I like to ask people, and, and there's no right or wrong answer to this because it's really what you think they think, but how would other people describe Josh Baker? <laughs> Probably the first thing they'd say is late. <laughs> I'd prefer to say generous with time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a work in progress, my punctuality. Uh, positive, determined, I would hope they might say. Probably if you would say pain the... Yeah. But uh, I'd say OCD. But anyway, look, who knows? Yeah, I'll leave that to them. Uh, what do you do with your spare time when you're not uh, dreaming up a new display home and, and working on the business? Uh, what are your hobbies? Love getting out and just moving. I love testing my body, so I love running and cycling, like I've mentioned. Surfing's a real passion of mine. Uh, That's tough to do in Aubrey Wodonga. It is a little, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love traveling with my wife. So yeah, you know, we're often, 
on a weekend, yeah, our, our downtime certainly just get, you know, head out for brekkie or lunch and cafe, have a coffee, that sort of thing. So it's, yeah, it fills my cup. Let's, you've mentioned wife. We may as well go there now because I'm led to believe, um, I can't remember the full story in detail, but tell us how you met your wife. There's a good story behind this, isn't there? <laughs> there is. It was a sliding door moment, that's for sure. And I needed as much help as I could get down that alley of... <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> um, so a good friend of ours thought we'd be a great match. And so after a couple of attempted matchups, which is quite difficult because she's from Perth and I'm in Albury, so it's difficult to catch up. Those moments were only like a wedding here and there. So Sarah, who was our... Um, Shining light. Anyway, she said, hey, look, Nio's at home. She's waiting for a phone call. She's waiting for a phone call from you, and she's got a glass of red wine in hand, and she's home alone, so give her a buzz. So I did. I rang her up like it was she won the Buddy Tats Lotto that night. <laughs> <laughs> Were you nervous making the call? Well, I, I wasn't because I was led to believe that she was waiting on that call. Okay. Little did she... She didn't even know who I was, so... <laughs> Congratulations, it's Josh speaking. Yeah. She's like, who the hell are you almost? So um, anyway, after I got over that little awkward uh, um, <laughs> few minute exchange, we, we ended up chatting for another, yeah, 40 odd minutes. Um, I persisted. It's one of my um, traits. <laughs> and after a few more conversations, I said, hey, how about you just keep this date free? I'm going to come over and we'll see if we work. And so I did that, flew over to Perth. Nio flew back. A few weeks later, it just happened to be my auntie's 50th. There's only 70 people there. So she met all of the family in one go, <laughs> a baptism of fire. She survived and, and, um, and that's, yeah, the rest is history. So we've certainly, yeah, we went back and forth obviously quite a bit and, um, yeah, I jumped on my knee over there one of those trips and, uh, I've been lucky enough to, yeah, bring her home. What a great story. What a catch. Dad was very proud of me, I tell you. Was he? he? So he, well, <laughs> dad, dad got to see that all unfold, did he? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he thought it was the greatest, considering that, like I said, my love life wasn't of, uh, <laughs> wasn't a lot to write home about. <laughs> so, yeah, that was one of those sliding door moments where just, you know, things happen, isn't it? Yeah. You just, you go for it. I, yeah, I had no idea, obviously, um, but uh, what would it, what would eventuate? That's a great story. Um, you got any good quotes? I love hearing people's quotes and philosophies and, and filters that they apply to their life. Is there anything that you sort of, you know, when something happens, you sort of run it through your head again and go, that's why? Or Yeah, I think um, follow your gut, trust your instinct and lead with your heart is a good one. I mean, not that that's, I don't know if that's any particular, I just think they're little mantras that, you know, I, I try and yeah be true to. I think if you're authentic in anything you do, it leads to success and you don't do it conditionally for success. You do it just because, so that's probably what I think, you know, you get nothing for nothing. So anything worth anything, you got to do something for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably what I'd go on. What keeps you motivated each day? It's a good question. Uh, I would, I just think, yeah, life. I generally have a real thirst for, I love it. I just, yeah. Um, try to, be the best version. I know that's real cliche. Yeah. Particularly, you know, you, I love podcasts and all that sort of stuff where they, they do, you know, those things that talk about it. But at the same time, yeah, generally I just, yeah, I, yeah, I just get, get a real kick out of, um, 
just trying to see where things end up when you give it a good crack. Do you think that's changed and maybe emphasised in a positive way um, since your father passed away? Um, not really, no. I've always, yeah, I'm, I think just growing up, I, I suppose it's probably just been embedded from mum and dad. Like if you were to ask me, you know, who I admire, it'd be, yeah, mum and dad's story from Humble Beginnings or all of the story, you know, from John Max as well. Like that's the, our Ben H story from Humble Beginnings to, um, you know, we're not, you know, madly successful in any stretch. I'm not, yeah, suggesting that. But at the same time, yeah, made a goal of it and, and made good. So that certainly um, has been embedded in us kids, my sisters, you know, um, trust yourself and, um, yeah, and give it a go. So, that, yeah, it's probably just environmental. Lucky to be born into the family I was. Mm. Every b and home that you drive past is really a legacy of Dad's work with, with the others as well that you mentioned. Do you think you'll have something that you that you sort of people can look back on and go, you know, that's 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 still there, it's still giving. Yeah, I hope so. Definitely this this twenty fifth display home. <laughs> I, I really it's got the heart and soul in it. It it's has, the, I mean, like yeah. I said. I mean, it's actually it's got a little bit of my my cousin's been involved in it. So I to give you a little bit more back brief on um, on when I joined the business, like mum was working there too, my cousins. So I'm working with mum, dad, uncles, cousins. Today, fast forward there, mum and dad, well, actually mum is still involved as a, yeah, silent partnership there, but, um, you know, still working with cousins. I'm actually, yeah, been working with my cousin um, in Melbourne a little bit as well. He's an architect. So it's really lovely to have um, that family. I mean, the, the company's founded on family values, but to, yeah, to carry that through into this next phase still is really important to me. And uh, yeah, that that's something that I suppose will, will always be because it's, it's a part of our culture. Mm. Um, yeah, something as a, as a legacy I would like to do. And it was something that dad started off. You know, it, it, go, it probably stems back to that idealistic Josh back in uni days, you know, wanted to help out. And, you know, that's that's going to be a work in progress. But... Hopefully, yeah, what will happen with, um, yeah, in, into the future might be uh, something that supports those doing it tough that, you know, don't have a roof over. Like, doesn't it not make sense that the building industry, you know, supports those that, that don't have a roof over that, that are homeless? So I hope that, yeah, we can put together some form of system as a building industry and community and some loose things were put in place with dad and we had a few discussions over it that will support that, you know, be that a levy when you go through a council that just, you know, continually tops up. So every new home that gets built, any permit that gets done, um, it can go towards supporting housing that is for, you know, if it's full-time, half-time, you know, like mm. um, stopover type of housing you know like it's so necessary isn't it i mean domestic violence mm. what's been happening it's critical to have that sort of infrastructure so hopefully yeah that that would be something in the future that i would i would love to be able to um, help i'm not saying that's going to be you know being h homes alone it's got to be a community led yeah. hey that that one concept and idea has got my attention how far percolated is that idea what at what point do you find someone to support legislation perhaps surrounding it or mm. or how do you build build together as an industry to, to achieve that is that something you have to still lead are you aware of others feeling the same way or 
Yeah, um, it was Quamby House, which we used to have in Aubrey, obviously mm. was something that, yeah, real tragedy, I think, that what happened there in terms of, and obviously, yeah, Dad was as well. He certainly started the conversation with a, a representative from uh, council, I think also Quamby, he might have had some real initial conversation. Uh, life got in the way. And so it didn't probably get to the the level, but that's where, you know, that retirement that he was going to do, because he was, yeah, he enjoyed, yeah, doing. And so, you know, that was going to be another thing that was on the radar. I'd love to try and see that through. And um, yeah, so in answer to your question, yeah, it's certainly, it's not going to be one person. It's a community-led thing. And yeah, sure, I, I would think it needs to be um, put into local council as a, as a, I think, you know, every new construction supports that. We're talking with Josh Baker from B and H Homes. He's part of the journey this time around, and uh, we've spoken building industry. Um, we've spoken grief. We've spoken all sorts of different things so far. But uh, hindsight—it's a wonderful thing, Josh. <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight, is there advice you would have given a younger you? Good question. I certainly have a tendency to try and do things too good sometimes. So I would say 80% today is better than 100% in three weeks' time. So don't <laughs> procrastinate, get the buddy thing done, <laughs> and it'll be good enough. I love it. 80% today instead of 100% in two weeks' time. It's good enough, exactly. <laughs> it's got to be. <laughs> um, if you were able to have three people at the dinner table... Oh, maybe not. Limit yourself to three. Who would you like to have dinner with, alive or dead? Um, famous, family, it doesn't matter who it is. Who yeah, like I think the obvious one is obviously dad. Yeah. I'd have him back any day. Um, bit of a man crush on Nathan Buckley. Like I said, I, I love the way people try and be their best, and he certainly reinvented himself, you know. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind having a chew on his ear to find out how he went about it. Um Probably, you know, I bloody love spending time with your family, so I'd have my wife and family. So, yeah. Yeah, good one. Um, sweet or savoury? Nah, there's no doubt about it. I'm all sweet. Yeah. Favourite? Is there a favourite you go to, like a dessert or? Jeez. Um, anything really that you see in those little glass cabinets next to a coffee machine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an absolute sucker for it. <laughs> Virtually, yeah, I will join any of that. Um, anything down at Nord Bakery, beautiful, yeah. yeah. Uh, everybody has different beliefs for afterlife, but if you came back, who would you come back as? Or what would you come back as? Yeah, look, Kelly Slater would be a... That's the surfing not, thing. Not, oh. Yeah, not a, not a bad way to live, is it? You sort of just hop around the islands and, um, yeah, maybe pick up a board every now and again. I love it. What are your plans for the weekend before we go? Actually, we're, I'm really excited about it. This Saturday morning, we are trying out the urban surf pool down at Tullamarine. So it's that artificial right. wave pool, yeah. which would be awesome. So yeah, I get to surf at the airport. And apparently it doesn't hurt if you fall off. Is that right? Well, or? I don't know about that. It's concrete. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait and see. And I've got a mate's 40. Thanks for listening to The Journey. At BMG Partners, they enable people to achieve their dreams. And if listening to this conversation got you thinking about your journey and whether you're on track, they'd love to hear from you. Head to bmgpartners.com.au. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.